The game Monopoly, I used to love it. Basically, I like to win. And I figured out a way to win pretty much every time. The secret, be the banker. Or rather, <laughs> be the not-so-ethical banker. My banking system was to keep my money partially tucked up under the board with those big 500, orange-colored $500 bill, dollar bills on the corner, and then splay out the bank for everyone to see so they could see how honestly I was dealing with it. And when they weren't looking, I'd slip a couple 500s under, <laughs> under my corner. <laughs> That's shameful, but it actually gets worse. Um, yeah. <laughs> even though I was cheating, and even though I was the one who rigged the system, they're coming to get me. Uh, <laughs> I was embezzling, and I thought I was really good at this game. My opponents, they just weren't smart enough to figure out how to cheat. Honesty out the wind window, winning, it felt so good. And my poor siblings, who cares? My friends, who cares? Their loss was their fault. They weren't the banker. <laughs> That's what privilege does to us. Whether the privilege comes from really bad behavior like mine or from our genuine accomplishments or perhaps accidents of birth, opportunity, Having advantages, be it wealth, status, power, and the like, having more than feels so good, it trains our eyes on ourselves. It builds up our self-importance. It makes it hard to see everyone else, hard to see how upset my siblings were that I kept winning. We're enjoying winning, we're enjoying the fruits of winning, that we don't have any room to serve others, and we start only serving ourselves. And today's gospel is a really stark parable about this very thing. It's the juxtaposition of a rich man and a poor man, Lazarus. Now this is a fictional Lazarus in a parable, not Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, who was later raised from the dead. This rich man feasts every night sumptuously while poor Lazarus sits outside the gate, starving, wishing he could have crumbs from the rich man's table, and he's covered with sores. Both of them die, and both of them get, so to speak, their just desserts. Angels swoop Lazarus up to be comforted by Abraham in heaven, and the rich man is buried and tormented by flames. Now the rich man sees Lazarus across a big chasm, sees Lazarus being loved, and cries out to Abraham, who's cradling Lazarus, please, Abraham, send Lazarus to bring me some water and cool my burning tongue. And Abraham says, no, you had the good things in life, Lazarus didn't. And even though you want to come over here, the chasm between you and us is impassable. It's fixed. This is a teaching about chasms, the chasms 
that are created by wealth and privilege. When those of us who are empowered can't see the other side and we focus on ourselves. The rich man doesn't fully see Lazarus until he is suffering. And this isn't a teaching about heaven and hell any more than a fairy tale like Hansel and Gretel is a teaching on the literal nature of candy houses. This is a moral tale about the use of wealth and privilege packaged up in a parable about the misuse. We know this because a few verses earlier, Jesus, it, it is said that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who were, quote, lovers of money. And this parable comes after a slew of teachings that Jesus has done on wealth and our relationship to wealth and God's relationship with wealth. And the listeners aren't hearing. So the first call in this parable is to see, see the suffering around us. And honestly, that is not easy. There's so much of it. And we become inured to it, we blot it out, we turn it off. The New York Times reporter Nicholas Kristof has covered decade after decade of wars and human atrocities and suffering around the globe. And in reflecting on his work, he describes a compassion gap. Over time, he learned in his reporting that if he quoted statistics, X many people died, X percent of people are starving, his stories never made top headlines in the Times. They were buried. And there was virtually no public response. But once he figured out to bring those stats to life with the story of one person, Hearts opened. His stories made bigger headlines. People cared. One person, one Lazarus sitting outside the gate. Christoph also covered and talks about another type of compassion gap, the type that Jesus is really honing in on here, where those among us who have more financial and social and political advantage are less likely to help others. Now, I love how modern social science and research confirms what Scripture has been telling us for millennia. There is a recent study where subjects were, to a were asked to just imagine great wealth. Or they were asked to just look at a computer screen with a screensaver of a lot of money. These people ended up less inclined to share what they did have with those who had non-financial imagery. And indeed, it's not much of a secret that the people that are at the bottom 20% income-wise in America give a larger proportion of their incomes to others than the wealthiest 20%. So Jesus is calling us not only to see the others, but to really see the advantages we have, to see whether we are operating with a compassion gap, a compassion chasm. Have we created, are we creating a chasm between us and those in need? So in seeing others, we really need to see ourselves. We need to invite God into our relationship with money. 
I mean, sometimes it's tempting to think about our spiritual lives as this other thing, this lovely place we go to to feel good. But Christianity is really about taking that love into the world, into every dimension of our lives. We need to see our money. And budgets are a great place to start because budgets are essentially moral documents. They reflect our values. What do we truly value in what we spend money on? What if we were to invite God into our anxiety about our budgets, our fears, our feelings, perhaps our pride about money? Invite God to be with us while we take an honest look at that relationship. And that also isn't easy. Some of us were raised that it's crass to talk about money. That's certainly how I was raised, and my family would probably be semi-horrified that I'm even preaching on money with this much specificity. So for me, when I took that hard look at my budget, my admission had to be I didn't have a budget. I avoided creating one, mostly because I was afraid of what I'd see. I needed to invite God into that fear because God does want us to admit the truth, to see what we have, to be able to cross the chasm. Now, some of us were raised with a different message that I used to see on bumper stickers all over Silicon Valley. He who dies with the most toys wins. How much of our budget is devoted to toys? How much of our spending keeps our eyes trained on ourselves? are things instead of on the Lazaruses of the world. And some of us are living like Lazarus, suffering outside of gates. And the promise of this parable is that on the other side of the chasm, those among us suffering are the ones cradled by God. Time and time again, Scripture tells us that we're to care for widows and orphans, which were the poor of that era, And this is God trumpeting love, trumpeting love to those who are disenfranchised and also trumpeting a message to love the disenfranchised. We need to see each other. Now, the rich man in our parable doesn't even get it at the end. He doesn't cry out across the chasm, Lazarus, I am so sorry. He doesn't actually repent doesn't see Lazarus as an equal human being. Instead, he asks Abraham, hey, Abraham, could you send Lazarus to cool my tongue? Could you send Lazarus to my brothers to warn them about what's going to happen to them if they keep behaving like me? The rich man still isn't seeing Lazarus as a whole being. That's why the chasm is fixed. That's why the rich man cannot cross over. This isn't a holy condemnation of being wealthy. It's a condemnation of how we use wealth. It's a condemnation of how privilege blinds us to the needs of those without. Now, how many of us have heard money is the root of all evil? I certainly heard it a lot, attributed to scripture. It is probably the most misquoted, invented verse of scripture. Because we read the real verse earlier in Paul's first letter to Timothy. It says, the love of money 
is a root to all kinds of evil. It's the love of money, not money itself. Love of money breeds evil. Love of winning monopoly breeded cheating. Love of having stuff breeds hoarding, breeds fear of losing stuff. Love of money breeds self-centeredness, the opposite of what Christ calls us to do. And so our culture is so wrapped up in money and anxiety of money that we've demonized it by creating this false quotation from scripture. When in fact, God doesn't demonize the money itself. What God is calling us to do is to fill the chasm, to fill the compassion gap with compassion. Fill it with generosity. Be sorry. <laughs> Repent with the Lazaruses in our lives. Start sharing generously with love. The parable's inviting us to see how we're using our privilege and how we are caring for one another. And the more we care and see, the more that chasm is filled. We're called to trust God, to invite God into our financial lives, into our privilege, into our power, and to empty ourselves of our need of self-satisfaction. To empty ourselves into the chasm with love, with compassion, and build a foundation so that we can cross over and embrace Lazarus and embrace God. Amen.